My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 40. Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. You know, occasionally I get an email that kind of speaks to me. Well, it was addressed to me, and it says, Hey, Lenny, how about talking about this or that or whatever when it comes to cars? And I'm more than happy to do that. I love suggestions, and I love it when somebody is interested enough to make suggestions as to show content. So today, I am going to reward one of my podcast listeners with a discussion on color. Let me ask you a question. Are your purchase decisions, let's say when you're talking about furniture, not clothing, okay? Furniture, cars, um, appliances, you know, things you use around the house. Are, are your choices influenced by color or texture or something like that? I know that's probably a pretty broad question. Mine definitely are. I mean, if I have two different things that I'm looking at, and one of them has, uh, looks more like, uh, has some metallic surfaces on it. I'm more likely to be uh, attracted to that. I like metal. Forgive me. Remember when uh, refrigerators and ovens and things like that used to come with uh, different colors, especially those colors from the 70s, like Harvest Gold. Remember those appliances? My mom had some of those. Or those funky green colors that they had. You know, you didn't see a lot of black. You certainly didn't see a lot of stainless steel, you know, 50 years ago or even 40 years ago. Now that's all anybody wants is stainless steel. Maybe they were influenced by the DeLorean. Remember that car? Stainless steel. You know, I'm even influenced as to which coffee maker I buy. I mean, I want it to look industrial. And I don't like, you know, just plain old black surfaces. And the button's got to be a certain way. You know, I'm from a design standpoint, that kind of stuff matters to me. Um, you know, if form is as important to me. Of course, function is important, but form is just as important as function is. I want it to function. I want it to work. I want it to work when I want it to work. But I, you know, I, I got to like looking at it too. I'm sorry. Like when I'm buying a flat screen TV, which is about all you can buy anymore, I don't, I not only look at the picture, but I look at what surrounds the picture. What do the edges look like? The, you know, is it black or is it like have a, um, a flat finish or is it shiny? The bottom of it, where, you know, the stand, all of that matters to me. So what is your favorite color? Well, mine used to be blue. I mean, as far as clothes, you look in my closet, it's pretty much blue. But it has been invaded lately with a lot of greens. I have, in my old age, I have fallen in love with, with green, I always thought green was just a, you know, nerdy color. But I guess maybe I'm nerdy now because I really like green. I'm looking at my jacket over here. It's green. Yeah, my shirt that I'm wearing, green. Um, I just, I was thinking about ordering a new car. I wanted it to be green. And speaking of car colors, Henry Ford famously said, they can have any color they want as long as it's black. And that really cost him a lot of market share because all Model Ts were black, and that was the the most efficient way, the most efficient color for him to produce. It was the easiest color to match. It was the easiest color to, as far as the paint that they, the quality of paint that they had back then. It just black worked better. It stuck better. It lasted longer. So he wasn't going to change. But then Chevrolet came along, said, "Well, you know, if somebody wants a blue car, let's paint it blue." And they did, and Edsel Ford, his son, said, Hey, Dad, 
we might need to think about changing. No, I'm not changing anything. They can have any color they want as long as it's black. Well, that lasted until the, oh, probably the mid-20s, and they started painting um, model, well, not Model T's. Really, Model A's was was the first time that they uh, started adding some a splash of color to their vehicles. Uh, the Model A that I recently bought is kind of a brown color. Not my favorite color. Kind of a milk chocolate color. But it has pretty uh, black stripes, and, and uh, it's highlighted with uh, hand-painted yellow pinstriping. So it looks really good. But, you know, all of that works together to make me like, it's just visually stimulating, you know, and I want to look at cars that are visually stimulating. But the most popular colors are anything but uh, 75% of all car colors are either white, gray, silver, or black. That makes sense. 39% of of the total are white. Uh, The other 36% are gray, silver, or or black. Now, what color did I order my F-150? Gray. My previous one was kind of a gray-blue, and I really like that, but they discontinued that color because it just didn't sell. 60% of car buyers consider color a key factor when choosing a car. So I guess a lot of people must like white cars. I love a white car. I mean, to me, white is the most practical color and I've said that to many people who came in looking for a black or a brown or a red or, you know, whatever color. And the only ones we had were white. And I said, well, have you considered white? No, I don't like white cars. Well, let me tell you a little bit about white. You know, it, it doesn't, it reflects the heat so it doesn't get as hot. It is the easiest color to match, or it used to be, not these pearl white colors, but the flat white colors. Um, it, and if you do get in a, a little door ding or something like that, it doesn't show up as much. Uh, white has excellent resale value because so many people want it. Tell you what, why don't you just drive this car down the road one more time and see if you can fall in love with white. And sometimes they did, and sometimes they didn't. A lot of young people think white cars are for old people. I'm willing to accept that. Uh, But uh, I just really feel that it's the most versatile color. But the gray truck that I have now, I really like it. It's not a really dark gray color. It's kind of a medium gray, but it's not the real popular flat grays that they have right now, non-metallic grays. My, my gray has metallic in it. Now, back in the 80s, uh, Ford, GM, Chrysler, all of them had problems with gray and silver paints. Apparently, the primers that they were using at the time with those colors, basically, it just would not hold the paint on, and it started flaking off. You may have remembered that, how badly those Uh, silvers and grays faded and then just started flaking off of the car. It was awful. We painted a bunch of them under warranty. But, uh, you know, they corrected that issue, and now all the paints are just so good. They just stick really well, and we don't have those kind of issues. Now, as 60% of car buyers consider color a key factor in choosing a car, it's important to be able to, for the paint companies like PPG, they're the number one supplier of auto paint, to take the trends into account, you know, when they're coming out with colors. So let's get into that. I'll take my first break here, and then we'll be back in just a minute. So how do car companies come up with the colors that they use? Well, they're usually very consistent. Ford had a a white, and it had a particular name. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it, it was the same white for probably 15 years. Never changed it. And then they started 
tinkering with it a little bit, and they came out with these pearl colors. I think that was started by Cadillac. became very popular. It's still uh, something that you see. It's called tricoat paint because it's it has two different colors of white, and then it has a very uh, heavy metallic or a pearl-like um, additive that's mixed in with the paint. Some of them even have glass particles in the paint to make it really reflect. But when it comes to like a car accident and you try to match that, it's a big problem. Usually you have to paint, if you have a door that has a dent or a front fender, you have to paint the whole side because you cannot get it to match uh, exactly like the factory did. So that's something to consider when you're thinking about buying a white car that has that pearlized or tri-coat paint scheme on it. Looks good. But a lot of the manufacturers stick with paint colors for a long time just because they sell. I mean, when you've got 39% of the customers buying white cars, then you know you got to be careful. You don't want to mess with that. Now, as I said, PPG is the number one supplier of auto paint. But they take into account what's going on to come up with their other colors that they're going to be offering. A lot of manufacturers make recommendations also. They say, well, we want to we want to really experiment with green this year or with, with different color browns or golds. Now, PPG will actually look at, you know, trends in architecture, uh, in clothing, in electronics even, and in nature. You know, they look for natural colors, especially like um, off-road vehicles like the Bronco and the Jeeps and, you know, Toyota Tacoma trucks and Chevrolet trucks. There are a lot of browns, kind of a medium milk chocolate brown is really popular right now. Um, Nissan has experimented with this really... To me, it's a funky colored green, but it sells really well. So, you know, I've got to be careful as a dealer to not let my color taste influence my ordering choices. Because if I do, then about the only thing we're going to have out here are white, gray, and maybe a few black trucks. Because I'm really not into reds as far as trucks. Blues, you know, my favorite color has been, for clothing is blue. But for a car, I don't like blue. I know my last truck was a kind of a gray blue, but it looked more gray than it did blue. But just navy blue and, and bright blue colors, that those just don't appeal to me. To me. So if I was uh, the one in charge of ordering vehicles, which at one point I was, and, I've, and in the past I've had people say, Lenny, can you order anything but white? So that's why I turn over the ordering responsibilities to some, somebody who is less biased than I am towards color. And really, it enables us to sell more vehicles and have more interesting choices. But, you know, there are certain lines, like this, uh, the email customer said, uh, or the email listener said that, uh, how come that Ford doesn't make more colors for their F-250 line? And it's because they don't have to. I mean, they can sell every one that they could build in white. They don't have to offer any other colors. So the color palette that they offer is not that big and because they don't have to. A lot of like F-250s, 350s, those people use those for towing and hauling and that type of thing. Many times they want to match their camper or their trailer. Um, and so, you know, silver, black, and white, that's about all you have to offer, although they do have some reds, but they just don't sell, you know, so they don't have to build that many of them. Now, there are some new trends uh, that are pointing to browns, oranges, and even some golds, I can't imagine that. Uh, from finishes, they're getting away from heavy metallics, and they're leaning towards flat colors like grays. You know, that gray that kind of looks like primer. 
I mean, it's just medium gray, but it's flat. It doesn't have any metallic in it. Greens, the especially these soft medium greens, we are seeing some very natural looking greens, like an oak tree leaf green. Uh, like I said, browns like milk chocolate, not the dark browns. It's the it's the medium brown. It's almost a military looking color. Now two tones are also hot. Um, I remember when. Chevy trucks and Ford trucks, I mean, they had multiple two-tone paint combinations, and they, they haven't had that for many years. They do still put a different color across the bottom, but the rest of the truck will be painted, you know, white or silver or whatever. But across the bottom, they have only two color choices that you can put on the bottom. Uh, in the old days, they had one that would go down the middle. They'd paint the top one color. I mean, the very top of the cab one color, the hood and the top of the beds, uh, another or the bedsides, another color, and then they'd repeat the white, and then on the bottom they'd put it the body color again, the same color that was on the hood. So it, it I don't know, I liked them, and it's very old school. I've seen some aftermarket companies uh, where, the, the or should I say conversion companies, they'll buy F-150s and 250s and so forth, and then they'll put these two-tone combinations on them from the 70s. And and I guess, you know, some people really like that. I'm I'm not that nostalgic. I'd rather stick with the, the common choices that they have right now, but that's just me. But on two-tones, especially uh, black roofs on cars, if you notice that, they'll use uh, brightly colored bodies, but they'll have a black top with a white bottom, a black top with a flat gray bottom. That's a real popular color on... Uh, Nissan Kicks and on our uh, Nissan Rogues. A black with orange has been one of our best-selling colors for the Nissan Sentra uh, and also the Altima. I would credit Mini, you know, the Mini Cooper. Um, I would give them credit for these two-tone combinations, the different color top, because they started that when they resurrected the Mini. Uh, BMW owns that company. And I really do like the, the different color top and bottom. It, it just makes a car look more expensive. I mean, if you look at, at a solid color Nissan Sentra and then look at one that has a black top and then a, the same body color on the bottom, it just looks better. And that's not an opinion. That is a fact. Well, that's my fact. Okay, interiors are changing too. And they're really going for an upmarket look, even in inexpensive cars. And I guess modern manufacturing techniques have allowed the automakers and their suppliers to really get creative with the interior. Uh, plastics, um, much better than they used to be. They just look better. They, they look less like plastic. Um, fabrics, even the vinyl, like they, they put on the dash, it looks so much more like leather, and it has a better feel. It's not that hard plastic that they used to have in the 80s and 90s. It definitely has a cushy feel to it. Uh, even leather and vinyl combinations that are very striking. You like that word? Striking? Uh, you know, much of the vinyl today is of such high quality that it's virtually impossible to distinguish it from genuine leather. Most of the seats that we get that are, you know, it says on the window sticker that it's a leather interior. The part you sit on is leather, but the rest of it's not. Now, companies like Porsche, uh, BMW, probably Mercedes. You can order so many different interior combinations. You can get a absolutely solid leather, including the headliner, the dash. Everything that you touch is leather. But that gets really expensive, and it's really unnecessary with the the quality of the vinyl that we have today. You know, there a lot of these manufacturers are using uh, contrast stitching, 
like even on a Nissan Sentra. Uh, I was looking at this Corvette that we have in inventory right now. It's one that I bought. Uh, it has saddled color. Well, it has a black dash, and it's a combination of black and beige, but it has beige um, stitching on the dash and on the seats, and it's really attractive. I really like that look. But you're seeing that not just on Corvettes, but on Nissan Sentras. And it just it really gives the vehicles a more expensive look, as do the gauges that they're doing with little aluminum surrounds. I mean, it looks like an expensive watch. And that I'm sorry, but that kind of stuff, well, why am I apologizing? That kind of stuff appeals to me. I'm visually stimulated by stuff like that. So that is a, is that a, should I have said that? Uh, carbon fiber also. You know, you know what carbon fiber is. You know, it's, it's stronger than steel in many applications. A lot of Formula One race cars are made out of carbon fiber. It was made and invented not for something that would be used on interior trim. The reason carbon fiber came around is because it was a, a substitute for an aluminum body or a steel body, which is much heavier. Aluminum bodies were a little bit lighter, but carbon fiber bodies, I mean, they're extremely lightweight, but, it's, but actually stronger than steel. That was the justification for making it. Now it has become, because of the, the, the mesh pattern and the way they can make it look um, real shiny with different coatings of, of clear, it just, um, it's being used on interior trims, and it looks really uh, sophisticated on the inside of a car. So I guess the good thing here is that all of these uh, in interesting interiors and fabrics and materials that they're using, it is filtered down from the people who were driving Bentleys and Rolls Royces down to us common folk. And you'll be surprised if you haven't car shopped in a long time. You'll be surprised when you look inside some of these twenty dollars and $30,000 cars. Yeah, I know. twenty dollars and $30,000 cars are hard to find these days. But if you can find one, you'll be very impressed with the interior and, and how these things are uh, designed. It, they've, they've come a long way. Okay, I'll take my last break, and I'll be back here in just a minute. I just got back from Chick-fil-A. I went to Chick-fil-A this morning for breakfast. I never thought I'd eat chicken for breakfast until Chick-fil-A said, you know, it's not a bad idea. Put an egg on a piece of fried chicken in a biscuit, and it tastes pretty good. So I tend to agree with that, and I like it very much. However, when I came back to the dealership, I parked my F-150, like I always do, except somebody was in my parking place with a Nissan Juke. But anyway, I parked right there. was a spot open beside me. So I pulled in, and then I got went back out, forgot something. I knew I had to drive around the other side of the building, so I hit, I hit the start button on my car. Nothing happened. It said, a little warning light came on. It said, stop safely, and had an ex- exclamation mark beside it. Well, I was stopped. Matter of fact, my car uh, wouldn't start. I kept pushing the start button. It would not start. So I uh, got out of the car, shut the door, opened the door back up, Got back in the vehicle, not car, it's my F-150. Hit the button again, nothing. Sign comes up, says, stop safely. So obviously this vehicle is malfunctioning. You know, that's the sign of the times. We have got so many different electronic systems on these vehicles that um, it makes a person, it gives a person pause to think about what's going to happen 10 years down the road, when they, when these vehicles are 10 years old and they have 150,000 miles on them, who in the world are you going to have to fix this stuff? Um, you, you know, your little 
shop, the, you know, if you go to an independent shop somewhere, they're not going to have the equipment to do it. And as a Ford dealer, I'm required to have that equipment. Um, but I don't know that 10 years from now I'll be using the same equipment and if, if it will be applicable to like this 2023 model truck. Will it be in 2033? Who knows? But, you know, the advantage I have is I just got out of my vehicle. I parked right next to the shop door, walked in the shop. There's Todd. He's uh, our number one Ford mechanic. And I said, hey, Todd, come out here and check out what my truck's doing right now. Well, he got out, uh, came out of the building, went into the truck, hit the start button, did exactly the same thing. Stop safely. He said, well, that doesn't look right. So what's he going to do? He's going to get the uh, computer that, that he uses. We have five of them in our shop that each each technician that is Ford certified has one of these special computers that they can plug into the OBD port, and it will tell them what's going on. It's probably some type of a trouble code. By the way, the check engine light also came on. So obviously I have some type of electronic malfunction, and I'll let you know what, it hap- what happens as far as that is concerned. But, you know, if you're... If you buy a new vehicle and it's got all this electronics on it and you're driving to work and you go want to go out for lunch and you go out there and you hit the button that says stop safely, what do you have to do? Well, unfortunately, you have to call somebody. You probably have to call a tow truck and they'll pull it to the dealership and you've got to make all those special arrangements and then get a, you know, the extra car that you have at your house if you have one or you have to uh, rent a car. I mean, it's so disruptive to your life. But if you know somebody, you know you know your dealer, you know uh, the guy in the service department, sometimes you just pick up the phone and call them, and they come and rescue you, and they do all the hard work for you. Yeah, it's going to be inconvenient, but it does really help to have those kind of relationships. If you have issues like that and you can't find help or you need some advice as to what to do, don't hesitate to send me a text message, 423-552-2020, or send me an email to mycarguru2020 at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to help you out. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I'll see you next time.